word to the book of First Thessalonians chapter 5. We continue our study together looking at this portion of scripture. Our text today is verse 15 of First Thessalonians chapter 5. Hear now God's very word. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to to do good to one another and to everyone. Thus ends the reading of the very word of the living God. Let's pray. Father, we come as, as your little children bowing before you this day, thanking you for your word, the very word of your mouth. Thank you, O Lord, that you have given not only the written word and preserved and kept it down through the centuries, but Lord, you, the same God who spoke and gave your word and preserved it and kept it, you are the God who now we rejoice is the true and the living God. The same God, we beg you would come by your spirit and you, Lord Jesus, would preach your gospel to our hearts. Lord Jesus, you are the only one who can save us and keep us. You're the only one who can transform us from being lost and fallen and on the road to hell to be those who are forgiven and adopted and growing more and more to bear and reflect your image, looking forward to the bliss of heaven. And so, Lord, we beg that you would come and that you would capture us afresh by your amazing grace and that you would revive our hearts to hope in you and to give ourselves anew to follow you and to be those who are tools in your hand and view ourselves as such to minister your mercy and your kindness to those around us. Hear our cry. In Jesus we pray. Amen. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Well, that's what we want. But what is our experience? Well, we all struggle with that. Uh, There are none of us who experience uh, the 
degree and the consistency uh, of being a blessing to the people around us. Um, In the life of the Christian, there are many opportunities to express our forgiveness one to another, to ask for forgiveness, to acknowledge our need to grow in the Lord. There is none of us who says, I want to sin. That's my goal today. None of us uh, get up with with that desire or goal if we are a child of God. And yet we struggle. The very thing that we would do at times, we don't. The very thing that we would not do at times, we find ourselves doing. And that's what we read in the testimony of the Apostle Paul over in Romans chapter 7. He said, There is a struggle within me. Here I am, a a man who now is a new creation in Christ, and yet I find still within me, this side of heaven, the remnants of the old man. Now we're a new creation in Christ, but we still have the remnants. Uh, we still have the 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 uh, uh, infection of sin, the pollution of sin. Even though we now have a new heart, a heart that delights in the living God. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7, and uh, we'll begin reading in verse 7. What then shall we say that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. (laughs) And we've all seen this, not only in ourselves, but think about little children. You know, sometimes parents tell a little child, not to do something because you're anticipating they might just do it. Uh, Little Henry, don't touch that hot stove. (laughs) Well, I mean, I I hadn't thought about touching the stove, but now that you mention it, might might not be a bad idea. As a matter of fact, might be fun. And in a little child, you can just see this tug of war begin. Oh, 
now, now I want to touch the stove. And that's what the Apostle Paul is describing. Here he is a grown man, an apostle, a man who now belongs to the Lord Jesus, and yet he is struggling. Well, he goes on in verse uh, 9. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. And the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. The problem is not with the standard of right and wrong that God has. The problem is, I'm fallen in Adam. And even after becoming a believer in Jesus, even though now I have a heart in the inner man that delights in God's law, I still struggle, just like that little child. Verse 13, did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. In order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want. But I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do want, I agree, do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now he's not denying his own responsibility. But he's just saying that as a child of God, it, it's contrary to what I am now. It, it is not what I want to be doing. I did it. I decided to do it. I gave myself to do this wrong, but it's this sin that remains in me. I, I, I used to, before I was converted, I could live with sin, but I can't now because God has made me his child. And because we are belonging to the Savior, to Jesus, the Holy One, we want to please him. We want to be a blessing. And it pains us. It hurts our heart when we are not walking with our gracious Lord. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And you see, an unconverted person does not want to do what is good. Romans 8 says uh, that the, the natural man does not submit itself to the law of God, doesn't even want to please God. Romans 3 gives this description of people who are under the power of sin. We're full of hate toward God and hate toward one another, and we don't want to do what is right. 
And so verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. A day is coming when that will not be the case anymore for the child of God. When we are glorified. When a person trusts in Jesus, the second we believe in him, God justifies us. God imputes, he credits to our bankrupt account the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. His perfect sacrifice is our payment for sin so that we are no longer guilty before God. And he imputes the second we believe in Jesus, the perfect obedience of Jesus, his perfect life of obedience, so that when the Father looks at us, we are not just forgiven, but we are righteous in his sight. He sees his son when he looks at us. And how did the father view the son? This is my beloved son in whom I am what? Well pleased. And that is why a Christian glories so in the Lord Jesus. It is because he is our righteousness and we understand and the more we grow to know the living God the more we say with old John Newton amazing grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me we are more and more amazed that the holy 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 God would give his son to rescue us and so the Apostle Paul goes on and he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only does God justify us the second we believe in Jesus, but he adopts us into his family. And he is sanctifying us. He's changing us more and more into the image of His Son. His Spirit takes the Word of God and is changing us and causing us to grow in our hatred for the remnants of sin that remain and to learn the paths of Jesus and the delight to follow Him more and more. But someday, the struggle with sin will be over when Jesus takes us home. And that's called glorification. And indeed, it will be glory when we don't struggle with sin anymore. Oh, that will be 
so sweet. To be in the presence of our Redeemer. For Him to wipe the tears from our eyes and welcome us home into the glories and the splendors of heaven. Before the throne of God Almighty, joining our voices with the saints who have gone before and the angelic hosts praising our God and serving Him forever and ever with joy and gladness, no longer struggling with sin. But being a blessing to the Lord our God and a blessing to the people around us in perfect holiness. Well, in the meantime, God says to us, He has work for us to do. And so I want you to turn back with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And in verse 15, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. God says, don't do this. Don't pay back evil for evil. But instead of that, seek to do good to one another in the household of God and even beyond to everyone. So what does it mean to not repay evil for evil? Well, this word repay uh, is an interesting word in the New Testament. It's the word that we saw last Lord's Day uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. And if you'll turn back with me to Matthew chapter 18, the Lord Jesus told a parable. Uh, Peter, you remember, we saw, had remembered what Jesus had instructed in Luke chapter 17, uh, that if your brother sins against you seven times in one day and comes in one day saying to you, I repent, uh, we are to forgive. Seven times in one day. And the disciples' response, you remember, is, Increase our faith. It said, Jesus, you got to be kidding. We cannot do that. We don't have enough faith to do that. And Jesus said, yes, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, if your faith is in Jesus. Jesus, even though my faith is pitiful, the tiniest amount of faith, Jesus is so great. Uh, that he enables us to do what naturally, left to ourselves, we could not do to forgive. Um, Jesus goes on in Luke 17 says to these disciples, you have forgotten who you are and who he is. And so in Matthew chapter 18, Peter came up, verse 21, and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him as many as seven times? And you can just picture in your mind's eye. Jesus had said seven times. Peter remembered. 
And he's, he's waiting for Jesus to praise him and probably stop whatever was going on, call all the disciples together and, and say, now Peter has arrived. I want you guys, Peter, repeat the question again. And then Peter was waiting for uh, Jesus to just commend him. And surely it must have rocked Peter and all of the disciples back on their heels to hear Jesus say, well, I don't say seven times, but 70 times seven. And then Jesus gave a parable. The kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wished to settle certain accounts. And one man, a servant, owed him 10,000 talents. A talent was a weight. Uh, there was the king's talent and the common talent. This was a king. And the king's talent uh, was 123 pounds. Now you can just think in your mind if you had 123 pounds per talent of gold, times 10,000, we're talking an astronomical amount of money. And this servant, the master said, sell him, sell his wife, sell his children, and all that he has so that payment can be made. The servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will, and here's the word, same word, Pay you everything. I will repay you. I'll pay what I owe. That's the word. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, and here's your word again, pay what you owe. Repay it. Give me what is due. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and here's your word again, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt, same word. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you have not had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger... His master delivered him to the jailers until he should, and here's your word again, pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And so here we have a passage that uses this term. We see the same uh, term uh, used, and we'll just look at one other place over in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, a couple of chapters earlier. In verse 
27, we read, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Jesus is going to pay. He's going to force payment in terms of what people have done and they will spend eternity paying the debt of sin. Well, back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, God says, See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. When someone does us wrong, we there's something inside of us that screams they ought to pay. And what we have to understand is that we are desiring justice. We are desiring for that debt that that person has done against us to be paid. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. The Lord tells us that the child of God understands that it's not our responsibility to demand payment. That somebody else is going to settle the accounts. And we want to participate with him. We don't want to muddy the waters, if you will. We want everything to be uh, uh, left uh, clear, uh, the truth. Look in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. Here we have a series of just practical, everyday commands for how a Christian ought to live. And that's what we're looking at in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, in light of the grand scheme of things, of Jesus laying hold of us, and he's going to come and in history someday, between those two big events that a Christian is so attached to, God converting us and God coming and finishing uh, rescuing us on that great day. Between that, there's history, our history of living in this life. And so in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Now that's not natural to the fallen person who's unconverted. When somebody does us wrong, what does the world say? Dish it back. That is what the old sinful nature immediately wants to do. But God says, no. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, we don't have time this morning. This is not denying the duty and responsibility for self-defense 
and we could talk about that. And if you have questions about that, I, I would love to talk with you afterward. Um, let me just take you to two passages real quick. Turn with me over in the book of Exodus. And um, in chapter 23, in verse 4, If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, okay, so here's your enemy, somebody who's lied about you at work, and you see that they... Had, 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 didn't turn their car off when they jumped out and went inside and it's beginning to overheat. Now what are you going to do? Boy, that's a shame. Your car's going to blow up. Uh, I really hate that for them. Or do you go over and turn their car off? That's what he's describing here. You meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. And so God says that we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. But turn uh, over to Exodus 22. And this same God in this same section of God's holy word also says that life is such a precious gift from God that in our homes, in our own lives, in our community, we have a responsibility to protect judicially innocent life. Um, and, and if you have questions about uh, self-defense, God's not calling us to be pacifists, okay? He is calling us to not take our own vengeance. He is calling upon us to be willing to receive insults. That's not a threat to your life. Look in Exodus 22, verse 2. If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. And so here's the picture. If a thief is breaking in at, at nighttime, you don't know uh, what he's up to. You don't know, and it's a threat to the, the life of yourself, but especially your family. And if you, in defending your home, strike him and he dies, you are not guilty of murder. Now, if it's in the daytime, and you can tell that this, this guy, he, he, he's not armed, he, he's, he's here because he's hungry, he's still doing wrong. But you, I'm not justified in taking his life. Um, back to Romans 12. 
Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. And there's your word again. Same word in 1 Thessalonians 5.15. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, if possible. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God is the one who's going to settle the accounts. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And again, this is talking about a personal enemy. is not denying that civil governments have the responsibility to defend uh, with, with an army in a just war. Uh, the Bible teaches that that is right in the sight of Almighty God. But this is talking about just personal insults. This is talking about uh, that your life isn't threatened. What does God want us to do when people are just mean and ornery? God says that we are to fight against that evil God's way. Satan's way of fighting against that. The world's way uh, against fighting uh, uh, when you're husband or your wife uh, is, is dishing it out is to what? Dish it back. But God says, no, that's not what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to fight against evil my way. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Again, a quote from the Old Testament. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. When people would come and besiege his city to capture it, one of the defense mechanisms was to drop big rocks on the people who were trying to breach the wall or the gate. Another mechanism for defense was to pour uh, boiling water or hot oil on them. Uh, another mechanism was then to pour burning coals down on their heads. And God says that when his people return good for evil, it is like pouring burning coals on the head of an enemy. Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Your brother or your sister maybe have gone into your room and broken your favorite tea set or your favorite model 
that you labored months building. Justice needs to be done immediately. But God says, no. If your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I want you to notice something else in verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never seek vengeance. This is not talking about uh, in, in, in the, the, the moment. This is talking about somebody's done you wrong and you go, I'm going to get them back. I'm going to pay them back. They're going to pay. But leave room for the wrath of God. Isn't that, isn't that an interesting way the Lord describes how he's going to settle accounts? God says vengeance belongs to him. He will repay. And God says leave room for the wrath of God. Don't get in God's way. Years ago, there was uh, a counseling situation that I had, and there was a, a, a woman uh, whose husband uh, had been unfaithful to her. And I said, listen, uh, it's not up to you to get him back. You pray for him. You just step back and let your big brother take care of him. You know who the Christian's big brother is? It's Jesus. And I'm telling you, he can hit a whole lot harder than you can. He has an infinite number of ways to deal with people who have done wrong. And so that's how God calls upon us to fight against evil. He's not saying that we're to go along with evil. He says that we are not to take our own vengeance. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now we're going to look in closing at just a, a couple of illustrations of what that looks like. What does it look like to heat burning coals? What does it look like to do good to those who are dishing it out? Turn with me, first of all, to Proverbs chapter 15. When somebody is talking trash to you, what are you tempted to do? What am I tempted to do? It is to talk trash back. I mean, that's just, you know, the natural thing to do, isn't it? But that's not what God says to do. God says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone, but seek to do good. What does that look like? Well, look at Proverbs 15, verse 1. And this takes the grace of God to do this, to learn to not give ourselves 
to the remnants of the old man and dish it back. Look at Proverbs 15 verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. How do you put a fire out? Well, you don't pour gasoline on it. You use God's fire extinguisher and the burning coals that God says we're to use. A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words, yelling, screaming, dishing it back, just stirs up anger. Turn with me to the book of Genesis. What does it look like? What an incredible example we have in the life of Joseph. You know, Joseph's brothers conspired to murder him. I think that puts them in the category of enemy. When somebody says, you know, let's kill him. That's, that's what you call an enemy. His own brothers say, He's got to die. And then after they capture him, and are, I don't know whether they were thinking about how to do it or when to do it, they said, you know, here's this caravan going down to Egypt. Let's just sell him as a slave. And his blood won't be on our hands. We'll get rid of him. It's just like we murdered him. He'll never be seen again. You know, Problem solved. We're good. We, 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 we're not guilty of murder. We, we've granted him mercy. He's alive. I mean, you know, the fact that he'll be a slave for the rest of his life, no big deal. And so these wicked men, his brothers, sell him. And later, when they are in prison, uh, they say to one another, don't you remember how the lad cried for mercy? And, and we were so hard-hearted. Uh, guys, the chickens have come home to roost. And Joseph is listening to all of this. What does Joseph do? He is next to Pharaoh himself, and these brothers now are all at his mercy. He could have just spoken a word, I want all these guys executed, and every one of them could have been executed. What does Joseph do? Well, first of all, God put it upon his heart to help them grow. And then finally, he reveals himself to them. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone, but seek to do good to one another. And to everyone. Genesis 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it. And the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. 
So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. That's what it looks like. We remember who he is and who we are in Jesus and that even when we are put in hard situations, oh, may God grow me and each of us to learn to not repay evil for evil, but to remember God has, he hasn't paid evil back for our evil. He hasn't given me what I deserve. Oh, it's so easy for me to forget that. It is so easy for me to forget that. And when we pay back evil for evil, we are demonstrating pride and arrogance. We are saying to the person who has done us wrong, I, I, I know you've done me wrong and you're going to pay. And I've forgotten. I have done far worse in the sight of Almighty God, and what has He done to me? He hasn't given me what I deserve. Had He done so, I would literally, even this very moment, be in hell. But that's not what He's given to me. He gave that to His own dear Son so that I could go free and belong to Him and be forgiven and even be adopted as one of his little children. And so Joseph, he remembers who God is, and he remembers who he is, and he says, God, he's the one who orchestrated all this. And he's not glossing over what his brothers did. It's not like he's saying, oh, it was, it was a picnic, guys. I've had the best time. No. He was sold as a slave. He was ripped from his family. He wept and he cried and he agonized. He was falsely accused of raping a woman and imprisoned and left there for the rest of his life. But God intervened. And God put him in this place. And what does he do now? Does he repay evil for evil? Nope. He says, guys, our God's an amazing God. And he took all that wickedness that you did and he's turned it on its head and even used your wickedness. And here I am, your kid brother Joseph, all grown up now. And I'm next to Pharaoh himself and God put me here to rescue you, to feed you and your wives, and your children, and our old daddy. And he said, I want you to go get daddy and all your family and come and I'll take care of you. 
I've always thought the discussions they must have had going back to get daddy. Who's going to tell him what we did years ago? How are we going to tell him? Will we live to see? Years pass. Their old daddy dies. Turn with me over to Genesis 50. Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. So they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God says don't pay back evil for evil. We need to remember that we are God's servant. And he sometimes puts us in really hard places so that we will minister his mercy and his kindness even to people who are doing us evil. That's what this verse is saying. One last passage and then we're done. The book of Titus, chapter 3. Titus, chapter 3. And here we have in verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. God says we need to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one. To avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. How, how, how can we do that? Why will we be able to do that? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. What changed us? But when the kindness and the goodness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so when evil breaks out between your brother and your sister, what are you going to do this week? You're going to say, Lord Jesus, this is not fun, but I am yours, 
And I want to return good instead of dishing it back. When your husband or your wife isn't sweet, what are you going to do? Heat burning coals. Because God, He has been so kind to us. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. Apart from Him, I can do nothing. And so the life of the Christian is a life of faith, looking to Jesus, depending upon Jesus, drawing our joy and our strength from Jesus. The arm of flesh will fail you, but Jesus will not. Let's pray. Father, please write upon our hearts this verse these commands, these instructions. Left to ourselves, Lord, we will stumble and fall over and over. But Lord Jesus, you are full of mercy to us. And so, Lord, we give ourselves anew to you. We ask that you would forgive us for the times that we have repaid evil for evil. And we have forgotten you and we have forgotten who we are in you oh lord god we give ourselves to be those who would give cold water to our enemy and food to our enemy our personal enemies and to see your mighty hand at work bringing the gospel to bear and bringing victory in your sweet name. Granted in our own lives, in our homes, in our church family, and to everyone around us, Lord, for the glory of your name. Thank you that you are the great God who has given your Son to rescue us and to make us your little children. Lord, we want to grow in you. In Jesus we pray, amen.